Welcome to Howden's new podcast, Fortune Favours the Brave. We all take risks in our everyday life and business is no different. In this podcast, we're speaking to the experts about a topical challenge or issue and what business leaders can do to overcome it. Hi, and welcome everybody to the Fortune Favours the Brave podcast. My name is Hazel Craig. I am a senior data analytics and wellbeing consultant at Howden. And this is the second episode of a two-part series where we are exploring men's health in the workplace. In part one, I was lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Robin Clark, who talked to us about why men's health is such a cause for concern, as well as some of the implications around the man up mentality. For those of you who maybe missed that episode, I'd highly recommend you go back and give it a listen as it provides some great context and foundations to what we're going to be talking about today. So without any further delay, welcome to the podcast, Leo Savage, who is a global wellbeing consultant at Howden. Leo, can I pass over to you to introduce yourself and talk to us a little bit about what you do? Thanks so much, Hazel, and thanks for having me. I guess the best way for me to describe my experience is I'm a global wellbeing consultant here at Howden. Um, my career started as an athlete. I was a rugby player for a little while, and then I qualified as a personal trainer. Um, I've got a degree in sports science. Wellbeing is almost my world, so I love it. I've got a bit of experience, I say a bit, but that's around five years um, in the corporate space. So working in different industries from pharmaceutical to hospitality, to luxury, to fintech, to banking, quite broad. And that's taken me here to Howden, which we've got a large book of clients and I'm really enjoying the, the variety of the, the different well-being cases we've got and how we can help our, our clients on an individual basis. And we're very much happy to have you here and happy you can join us on the podcast today. So Leo, as you might be aware, we like to start this podcast by asking our guests to tell us about a risk that you've taken in your life and whether or not it paid off. So Leo, big question, can you tell me about a risk that you've taken and whether it paid off or didn't? I've been been waiting for this question and I guess (laughs) I've got a question back to you. Is it professional or personal? Good question. I think we've got time to do both. So maybe if we start with the personal and then if you can give me a quick follow up with a professional one, that would be fab. Okay, so um, on the personal side, I guess, so I've got a gluten allergy and it's not one of those um, upset stomach allergies. I break out in hives and I get the swollen tongue and uh, the boils and all that kind of stuff. So it's not pleasant, but I know I've got it. Um, I guess eight Six, six or seven years ago, um, I had a friend's dinner at a restaurant called Vapiano's. Um, it's an Italian place where they cook the food in front of you. Absolutely amazing, really tempting. I was sat at the table with a salad, really just not content, and I just went for the risk. Um, I went to get a bowl of pasta, had that, it was lovely, had a pizza, it was lovely, and then got on the train home with one of my best friends, and before I knew it, he was telling me that my ears were swelling and my hives were breaking out on my face. Had to run home from the train full body highs and get medical care. So not a risk worth taking, but it was definitely something that I would never do again and I haven't (laughs) had one since. I was going to say that. I'm sure sure you won't make the same mistake twice. Never again. And what about the professional risk that you've taken? I guess it's not so much a risk for me. It was very much a calculated decision. But before I joined Howden, Mm. um, I previously mentioned I was working in different corporations, but that was uh, independently as my own consultancy, which was great, great knowledge and great experience. Um, When I learned about the role at Howden and the work that we're doing and and the growth that we're we're experiencing, it was a no brainer for me. And it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been great ever since. So wouldn't call it a risk, but it's definitely a decision that, that I definitely wouldn't even think about again. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm glad you didn't pick your professional risk as coming to work with me. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. 
So let's jump into it. As I, as I mentioned earlier, in the first episode, I was joined by Dr. Robin Clark from Booper, who highlighted why men's health is such a major concern for employees and employers. So knowing that it is such a big concern and knowing the impacts that it can have on the workplace, I thought I'd just start by asking you, how can employers look to address this issue? You know, what are some of the things that they could be doing to support employees? Yes, yeah, it, it is a great place to start, I think. And I always like to, to look at that area with looking at three pillars almost, mm -hmm. so like a three-pronged approach. I think understanding the issues is, is very important from an employer's perspective. So when we're looking at uh, global issues around health, whether that be uh, men's health, physical health, female health, uh, vaccinations that are needed, uh, the cost of living crisis that's happening at the moment, um, having an understanding from an employer's perspective what's going on and then being able to deliver that to your people is incredibly important. Um, that second pillar, I would call it, is being able to communicate that to your people mm -hmm. in a way that they're going to receive. And then I guess uh, the third pillar on from that is once you know what the issues are and you know how you're going to communicate that to your people, being able to link that to what's available in terms of the support and the benefits that, that, that you have as an organisation. Yeah, it's really interesting that third pillar you've just touched on there and, you know, making sure that there are things in place that employees can be accessing. But I also think, you know, encouraging staff to utilise those supports that are in place can also be quite a big challenge for, for organisations. Quite often, you know, I see that organisations have lots of great things, but employees don't necessarily know that they exist or know how to access those things. So I guess thinking about challenges, what do you think are some of the other challenges or biggest challenges that employers might face when they're trying to address men's health in the workplace? Yeah, and that's, it's, it's a natural segue for us to move from the issues and, and what we can do to, to the challenges that might arise. And I think um, when, when we look at the challenges, we need to know what we're trying to achieve in the first place. So if I can take us back to that first question and those three pillars, when we're looking at providing information or looking at knowing what's the issue around the world of health and around our organization internally, we need to then look at the credibility of that information. So whether that be external information, are we comfortable that we're providing information that's going to add value to the people in our organization? I know it's a conversation I have many times over with, whether it's a people leader or a HR professional, that they need to know that when they find information or they're provided information, that when they pass that information on to their people, that they're not at risk of giving false information or not at risk of their people taking on board that information and, and putting their health at risk because it's 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 a massive concern there's 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 lots available at the moment whether that's the world of the internet whether that's offline whether it's social media just employees have access to to an incredible amount of data and an incredible amount of information and, and as an employer we need to know that when we give them information that they can depend on that and they can make actions towards their well-being as as a consequence of receiving our information and then I guess next, naturally, we move on to from that information, that credibility of that information that leads us on to how close we are to our partners who are providing us that information. Yeah. So knowing and trusting those people that we're working with, whether it's external consultants, whether it's internal um, positions within our organization or just other partners that we have to do with health and well-being, but to, to know that they're at the top of their game and not necessarily in, in the terms of uh, they're the biggest and, and the best organizations, but they're they're really on top of the uh, the current issues that, that are surrounding the world of health, but also really in tune with you as an organization and, and what your issues are. Because ultimately, when we're communicating these issues and when we're trying to listen to uh, to what our people want, we need to listen to the employees in the first instance. So the information we give them is relevant. I think that's incredibly important and, and that's a challenge. But 
I guess I've delayed moving on to the last challenge. It's <laughs> always the elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, the B word, budget, uh, it's, it's always going to be an issue. It's always going to be something that is is a constraint, if you want to call it that. And I think um, the best way for us to deal with budgetary issues, uh, because we know they're always going to be there, is just understanding what can be achieved with the budget that we have. Um, and when we move away from comparing to these, uh, I'll use the top of the mountain, but these big tech giants that, that can do absolutely anything and everything for their employees and move away to understanding what our budget is and, and what we can achieve with doing that and then what we can achieve in the long term, I think that will help us have that budget conversation or help you as a professional internally have that budget conversation with your provider, your consultant and, and know what to achieve in the long term because ultimately as a HR professional, as a, as a people leader, you can take your budget and try and do a weird and wonderful wacky mm-hmm. rollout and a launch and, and, and make a real big bang of things. But that's relatively short term if we're looking at trying to make a long term impact to the staff, to the organization, because we want to be able to provide long term consistent information and long term care to our people and, and almost stretch the budget. So it's a staple piece of the culture as opposed to a, a one off wellness week. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you've and and you've mentioned the B word there, and I'm I'm glad you did because I imagine that there are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast today that will be asking the question around, well, if I am to invest or we are to invest in supporting our employees, how do we know that that investment we are making is actually helping employees in the way that it should be? And so this might be a tricky question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you see as a successful outcome looking like for employers if they are addressing these issues in the right way? It is a tricky question, um, but it's an important one. So we need we need to address it. I think success doesn't need to look like making sure that every single one of your employees is at pinnacle health at one point in time and then letting them go away with it and and moving on to the next issue. I definitely think success for an organization firstly should look at how integrated that wellbeing program is into their organization and and how consistent it is through a longer period of time. I think the the information that that we provide our people um, needs to be consistent with the themes that are going around globally Mm -hmm. and the credibility of that. And, And I also think the relevance of that information needs to be at the top of its at the top of its game effectively because we can create well-being programs that, that look weird and flashy and do absolutely everything you think they can do but they just don't speak to our people because we haven't listened to them yeah it's a really i think you've touched on a really interesting point there and actually dr robin clark touched on the same point in our first episode where he was talking about we can kind of no longer take that one size fits all approach if we want this to be successful and he was talking about the fact that we have to tailor it to not just the employee demographics but actually what they value and what what they would be looking for to support them so leo you've mentioned a few times around communication and so one of my follow-up questions to that would be how important do you think communication is when we think or talk about success good question i think the information that we're giving needs to be it needs to be credible, as I keep saying, but it needs to be uncomplicated. So I think a lot of professionals and a lot of leaders try really hard to search for the best research which you need to do. But the inherent nature of well-being is that the information and the research that comes out doesn't necessarily change that often. So we're looking at, in some cases, a few years before a new piece of research comes out around uh, how to lose weight or how to um, address cardiovascular issues. So when we look at the consistency of how to lose weight, for example, that is the same all around the world, but 
what will change is the organization and the mechanism at which we deliver that information. So if I can be quite specific and say, when we're looking at demographics, when we're speaking to a client and um, if they've got a particular percentage of their staff is young and that kind of Gen Z population, and then we've got uh, a few older uh, people in that population, those two populations are going to receive the information differently. You've got that younger generation who might want to look at a more digital approach, whether that's through notifications, through apps. You've got that older generation that might be used to receiving emails and, and, and really engaging in that. So when we look at how we're delivering and communicating the, the well-being information, we also need to look at what's happening inside of our organizations, uh, what that demographic looks like and what mechanisms we have within our own cultures that, that can speak to our people because you might have uh, an organization that, that speaks widely to, to posters up on the wall, for example, and, and have a huge engagement in that if everyone's still in the office. Or you might have a completely remote business that has an in-house app that you need to post notifications on. So not focusing on too much on the, the actual well-being information, but really focusing on who your people are, how you're going to get across the, the certain messages to those people, and then working with your partners to, to, to fill it with substance, I think is, is really important. And I think just to finish off, and I asked Dr. Robin Clark the same question, so want to be consistent. Go for it. <laughs> if employers and business leaders were to take one thing from today's podcast, what would that be? One thing would be... Uh, my most important pieces to take away would be consistency and relevance. So um, I've said it a number of times. I know I've said it a number of times mm -hmm. that that consistency of, of the wellbeing program is hugely important when it comes to showing the commitment that you have to your people, to their wellbeing. If you have ad hoc or, or sparse events, uh, the, the same thing happens again and again and again. People's motivation rises for a period of a day, a couple of days or a week, and then it dwindles because there isn't anything following it up. If we can allow ourselves to think long term or on an annual basis of how we're going to communicate something, whether it's benefits, whether it's health issues over a certain period of time, then that will show our or show your commitment as an employer to your people's well-being. And then on that relevance piece, I think, as I said before, we can create the best well-being program in our heads in a closed room. And then we, when we launch it to people, when we roll it out, it just doesn't engage and it doesn't speak to them. And that's because we haven't listened to them. So listening to your people before you actually deploy anything is, is one of the most important things you can do. Okay, so consistency and relevance. That's two. I know that's two. You asked for one. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. We will take two. Thank you, Leo. And thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to doing it again sometime. Really enjoyed it. So did I. And as always, I hope that those of you listening found the content useful. And if you do have any questions or would just like to learn more about what's being covered in today's episode, then we would love to hear from you. Please feel free to contact us through the Howden website or through our LinkedIn page. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fortune Favours the Brave from Howden. To hear more episodes and subscribe to our channel, search Fortune Favours the Brave on your favourite podcast app.